Sometimes you might need a pick-me-up. I'll push in the right direction. Some words that help put you back on track. This is the Learn, Develop, Live podcast with your motivational moment. Good morning. Welcome to your motivational moment from the Learn, Develop, Live podcast. My name is Chris Jags and I'm bringing you another motivator for you to help push you through the week. Your most special moment this week comes from the incredible actress Lisa Kudrow, who in this clip addresses the graduating class of 2010 at Vassar's 146th commencement. Lisa's route into acting wasn't quite straightforward, but becomes something more of a something that seems to be calling her. But it's the struggles she went through in the early stage of her acting career that have defined her to who she is today. Here's Lisa. How did I go from biology major to actress? That is the one question I'm asked most frequently. Okay, when I was a kid, yes, I did. I wanted to be an actress. But when I took biology in high school, I was hooked. The biological theories I learned to me were the height of creativity. So I pursued my passion for biology and wherever that would lead me. I had nothing to do with acting while in high school nor while at Vassar. I was never in a play. I never, I don't think, really saw a play. I wasn't interested in the least, not the least. Then during my senior year, I was at Vassar. Oh, no, but I was home for spring break. I was driving around L.A., and I heard a promo for a sitcom on the radio. They'd play their best joke from the show. And I remember hearing in my head, oh, God, that's not funny. Oh, they punched that joke too hard. Just throw it away. Lisa, remember to throw it away when you do it. Why do I need to remember to throw a joke away? I don't need to remember that. So I dismissed it until after I graduated and was happily doing research with my father at the headache clinic. And it happened again and again and again. I'd be watching a sitcom and I'd hear myself saying, oh God, no, don't do that. Don't do that comedy walk thing like those sitcom actresses do. (sighs) Yeah, it really got relentless. So I entertained the idea of being an actress, then moved to justify the idea with, you know, you're 22, you have no mortgage, no husband and kids, no responsibilities. You have to do this acting thing now, right now. I'm so sorry, but you have to. By November of 1985, I declared that I would pursue acting. My parents and family were thrilled for me. (laughs) Truly. And that was the first and most important, wonderful show of support I got. Parents were thrilled, parents. They were supportive and thrilled. (laughs) My Vassar friends were shocked, shocked, but supportive and polite. I was a little terrified. And not because I didn't think it wouldn't work. I didn't think it would work out. I, I was weirdly confident <laughs> for no reason at all. But it was because this didn't exactly feel like it was a choice as much as succumbing to a compulsion. 
And I didn't analyze what led me to this point, whether it was divine intervention or a lapse in judgment or sanity. I just listened to that inner voice. By the way, I think it's always a good move to listen to that inner voice if it doesn't lead to a crime. <laughs> I was also nervous about this career choice because I didn't really care for actors. But my only point of reference was I had seen them on talk shows, okay, and they always seemed so affected picking a cause of the month as if it's not about them at all. And, you know, they'd, they'd say, you know, please, please, please save the planet as a favor to me. I'll love you for it. I really will. So I couldn't. And I thought, well, how do I hold on to who I am if I'm trying to become one of them? I don't want to turn into an actress. Well, that's a problem, okay? As in most pursuits, oneself, one, oneself is one of the biggest hurdles to get over. You can't pursue something and be committed to it if you're apologizing for it at every party, which I did for a while. I started to learn. I learned you have to surrender to the fact that, yes, you are one of too many in a highly competitive field where it is difficult to stand out. For now, over time, through your work, you will demonstrate who you are and what you bring to the field. Just stay with it and keep working. I was collecting tools to cope with this uncertain path in case it got rocky later on, just in case. For now, though, it was good. I became friends with and stuck close to the most talented person I met at my very first improv class. Conan O'Brien was a nimble improviser and fully committed in every scene, which always made it great. His writing was unparalleled, and everyone understood he occupied a whole other level of talent. I hoped I would be influenced by his high standard of writing and performing. Also, I knew he belonged in this profession, and I made him laugh, so I belong too. <laughs> so I'm on my road to becoming an actress, while I was taking classes at the Groundlings in improvisation and sketch comedy theater in L.A., I had my first audition and got the part. It was for a backer's audition for an equity waiver play called Ladies' Room. These two minor characters would come in and out and be on stage for a total of maybe seven minutes out of the entire play. And here was the audition. Romy, ugh, I hate throwing up in public. Michelle, oh, me too. <laughs> Ladies' Room had a nice long run, and Romy and Michelle were such audience pleasers, they created a TV show for them, and I was cast in the pilot as Michelle. I couldn't believe how fast my success was happening. <laughs> the pilot, though, was not great and didn't get picked up and I was back to square one, and it was the first time I thought, oh, maybe I'm not a lucky person, and this isn't meant to be. Then quickly recovered with, you know, there might be more ups and downs, and you have to weather those storms, and Conan thinks you're funny, so. Over the next eight years, my resolve and commitment was steadily challenged, challenged by casting directors telling me to my face that I was horrible, Agents letting me know, it's hard, we don't know what to do with you. They want gorgeous on TV, you know? There's no place for you, really. 
Finally, I got a coveted spot in the main... That was my agent, by the way. <laughs> Just to, so it hits home. <laughs> Finally, I got a coveted spot in the main company of the Groundlings, and the director there didn't like my work. Lisa, I just, I don't know, I don't understand why they voted you in. Okay. Lord Michaels came to a show to look for new cast members for Saturday Night Live. He was considering me, Kathy Griffin, and Julia Sweeney, and he picked Julia Sweeney. I was devastated. That same director told me, well, of course he picked Julia, who else would he have picked? Naturally, these things knocked me off balance and caused me to wonder if this was the right path for me. Am I going about this the right way? Do I belong here? Maybe I will never be a working actor, and I've wasted all this time. Then I would decide. No, they're just wrong and a little insensitive, but mostly <laughs> they're just wrong, and that's okay. They don't see it yet. I'd cling to the knowledge that friends like Conan O'Brien always liked the sketches I wrote and performed. So did Kathy Griffin, Julia Sweeney, writers I knew and respected liked my work. These people, I decided, were not wrong. I do belong here, and Conan is never wrong. <laughs> Have I mentioned his name enough? <laughs> I know him. It counts with them. Yeah, okay. Um, oof, okay. That's what I would tell myself, to keep those moments of doubts only moments. And it worked. I kept going. Then it all changed. I got cast as a series regular on a show that I knew would run forever and be very well written. Jim Burroughs was directing, and that's a big deal. He had directed and produced Cheers, Taxi, everything good. I was set. I was done. No more guest-starring roles when you're not really part of the show because you're just there for the week. I was done worrying. I get to do what I love on the best show ever. After two days of rehearsal, I got fired. I got fired from Frasier, the one everyone knew was going to be a hit, and it was. The next day, my biggest source of support had to move to New York to start work on his show Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and so my best friend was gone too. This time, it was really hard not to think that it wasn't meant to be my career as an actress. It was so embarrassing. Jim Burroughs and those producers had to fire me. They were nice, but, well, it's just not working and we need to replace you. Okay, sure, no, don't feel bad. <laughs> but didn't they know how hard I worked to finally become good at auditioning? That I had gotten over the being an actress issue and embraced it? That was hard for me. <laughs> this was my shot. I cried a lot. Then I got a call from a friend, uh, the actor Richard Kind, who I'd met when I had guest starred on an episode of Mad About You, starring Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt, who said, and this is exactly how he sounds, I heard what happened. I don't know how you get up in the morning. <laughs> how do you even get out of bed, get dressed, walk out the door, and show your face? 
just made me laugh. That was crazy. I was getting up in the morning and leaving my apartment, so maybe I was coping better than I was expected to. That's a good sign. The best words were from Robin Schiff, who wrote the play Ladies' Room, and later would write and produce the movie Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, which I was in. Well, I don't know, you know. She said, I know it's hard to believe, but when one door closes, another door always opens. It really does. Yeah, I know. I had heard that very clever saying before. Yeah. She was right. I didn't believe it. But I never forgot it. A couple of months later, I was almost completely out of money. And my agent called to tell me that Danny Jacobson, the producer of Mad About You, was offering me another small role on the show. The agent was recommending I pass on it because it was too small a role and the character didn't even have a name. It was for the part of waitress and I wouldn't even see the part till I got to the set in an hour. Get there in an hour. Don't take it. They can't treat you like this. I didn't even think twice. Of course, I took it. Whatever it is, I'll make it funny. I'll listen and respond and make it funny. By the second day, Danny Jacobson asked if I would be okay with being written into at least five more shows throughout the season. I told him I was okay with that. <laughs> Some people thought I was funny as the waitress, ultimately named Ursula on Mad About You. One of them was one of their talented writers named Jeffrey Cleric. Jeffrey's boyfriend was named David Crane, who recommended I come in to read for his new show about six twenty-somethings who lived in New York and hung out at a coffee house. After many auditions, I was the second person cast in the pilot called Friends Like Us, which would later be changed to Friends. Jim Burroughs also directed this pilot and the first 10 episodes of Friends. One day, the six of us were talking with Jimmy, exchanging the time I got fired stories. And Jimmy told them mine. <laughs> well, she's got the worst one of all. She got, she got fired from Frasier. <laughs> you were right for the part, darling. Thanks. Well, it's a good thing you got fired or you wouldn't have been on this show. He was right. And it was a good thing I didn't get Saturday Night Live. And that Romy and Michelle, that that pilot didn't work out. And every other disappointment that happened. They were actually more like guideposts that kept me on my path. Oh, and after I got fired from Frasier, I went to a birthday party and feeling like I had nothing at all to lose, I flirted with a guy who was way out of my league. We dated, and on Thursday, Michelle and I will have been married for 15 years. Yeah, that is the biggest achievement, it is. And we'll celebrate with our remarkable 12-year-old son. So, thank God I got fired. Maybe there is a reason for everything. I think there is. When I was sitting where you are today, 25 years ago, and I thought, how I'm not really going to miss Vassar, maybe it's not because I'm made of stone. Thank you. I thought it was funny, too. Maybe it's because, deep down, I knew Vassar would never leave me. 
My producing partner and one of my best friends is Dan Bukatinsky, Vassar class of 87. I didn't know him while I was here. But when you need to creatively partner with someone who shares your high standards, it turns out to be a Vassar guy. Now Vassar has stayed with me because I carried those high standards that were nurtured in me here all along the way. I knew what was good, and that's what I did, and will always try to achieve. Good work. Even if the network cancels my show, I know it's good work, and I'm proud of it. Even when people looked at me with pity, as they'd say, you have a web series? Aww. <laughs> I know it's good work, and I'm proud of it. Uh, you have a BBC series that's a historical documentary show on genealogy. On NBC? Yes. <laughs> really? For American audiences? They won't like that. I think they will, because it's good. And they do. <laughs> and maybe I wasn't sad to leave Vassar, because on some level, I knew I'd be back three times a year at the Board of Trustees meetings. <laughs> And one last thing, when I was invited to be on the board, I was nervous because it was the first meeting and I wouldn't know anybody. And then I saw there was another person from the class of 85, attorney Stephen Hankins, who was Stephen, the cool mug manager who danced well. <laughs> and it is really nice to see him around again. I truly wish you all the best in whatever it is that you want. Thank you. Now that sounded as good as the first time I heard it a few years ago. People obviously associate her work as Phoebe from Friends, who is often portrayed as a little ditzy at times, but it takes a very clever, funny and intelligent actress to really make a character like that work. And she nailed it. Now, as the clip shows, all those doors that close on you, despite the amount of work you really do put in, are just getting you ready for the real purpose that you're meant to find. After 10 seasons, 236 episodes, the fact that it's still broadcasted around the world so much just emphasises just how big a show Friends was and how big a part Lisa played. So don't give up on that door that closed on you. Instead, just go and knock on the next one. If you'd like to see the video on YouTube itself, it's called Lisa Kudrow Commencement Address 2010 and is published by Vassar. So a massive thank you to them. If today's episode has given you that missing inspiration that you need to finally kickstart your day, week, month, or hey, even your life, the life that you want to take control of, come and book a call with me now. Your very own 30 minute LDL power call is waiting for you to book when you want to, of course. Book it now. Let's see what the learning and live method can do for you and your life. And this is not a sales call. This is just a chat between two great people who want you to grow. Now that is all for me today. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Stay motivated, keep inspired, and I'll see you in the next one. The Learn, Develop, Live podcast. Getting you ready for your next big adventure. That's a really big deal. Thanks for listening. You can find more motivational moments at LearnDevelopLive.com. And we'll be back to inspire you again tomorrow.